Hey guys, this is Brandon from At The Table. I want to thank you for listening. Go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future content and enjoy today's show. So I thought we'd talk a little bit today about the radical nature of Jesus' ministry. Okay. I think for me, when I look at what Jesus did and what Jesus brought into his his culture, like it was it was a radical movement. Well, mm-hmm. let's be honest. I mean, some people have actually written a book about that. Imagine the, the radical nature of, <laughs> of, of, right. of Jesus' ministry. But, you know, when Jesus began to walk around the countryside mm-hmm. saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, like what did he mean versus what did the people think that was coming? The funny thing about that is, like, I think that we we also jump past that to realize that they didn't even know what that meant. No. Like, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like, these are people who had all the scripture, they studied all the stuff, but they didn't know what that meant. Right. And so, like, I think to... we. Like, when we look at Jesus, what was he trying to say about that? Like, that by itself was a radical statement to begin with. Yes. It's like, you can't even get the car before the horse. Like, what did that even look like? Right. What did that mean? And I think to even think about, did Jesus actually come to establish a new kingdom, or was right. he carrying on a kingdom that already existed? Right, right. I mean, because if you think about it, like, I always found it interesting when you look at the period at the end of the judges, mm-hmm. the end of the judges period, where the people were clamoring for a, a king, mm-hmm. right? They said, please give us a king. We want to be like all the other people. Mm-hmm. And God's God's response to them was, am I not king enough for you? And so essentially what God was saying was, like, you already have a kingdom and I am your king. Right. But I'll give you a king. But it's not gonna. I don't want you to look like everybody else looks, right? Because I judge a man from the inside out, mm-hmm. and so he picks Saul. Saul becomes the first king. But now we get to Jesus' time, and they're looking for somebody in the line of David, mm-hmm. David the warrior king, like who had to establish the kingdom from a violent. And they were in captivity, so they yeah. wanted they wanted freedom, right? In a territorial sense, right and now. They're under the oppression of the Romans, so they have no political authority, mm-hmm. no political political clout right. in their community. So they're looking for somebody to take the Roman emperor and like slay him like right. a dragon, right? <laughs> right. They're looking right. for somebody right. to to get rid of all the Roman legions, like to just wipe them out and to establish the Jewish people as the the leading nation again. Mm-hmm. That's what they're thinking about. But when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, like you said. Like they have no clue. They have that no means. idea that it's going to be something spiritual. Right. They have no no idea. And then when he when he comes in there, he starts talking this talk, and I think that's what gets everybody so riled up is that he wasn't talking the talk that they wanted to hear. No. Like he was saying things that sounded radically different. Like you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who's my neighbor? Or love your enemy. Who's my enemy? And then they talk about Samaritans, right? They talk about this. They talk about tax collectors or, or then he, he's eating with, uh, with people who, you know, are oppressing them, right? right. Like they're, 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 they're the guys that are basically the, for the lack of better words, pimps for the Romans, right? Like they're, yep. they're, they're themselves Jews, but they're getting paid by oppressing their own people. Right. But yet Jesus is around them. And then he doesn't go to the educated people. He goes to the fishermen. Yeah. And he says, come follow me yeah. and be my disciples. Like, that's just, it doesn't make any sense. Like, who who builds a kingdom with these guys? Yeah, because you would think, like, in their minds, they would think, okay, you got to begin with the high priest yes. and work your way down. Right. You know, from the highly educated, you know, religious person of the day, religious leader of the day. Right. And let's start with him and let's work our way down. Mm-hmm. But that's the last person Jesus wanted to encounter was the religious leaders of the day. And that's why. And when he did, he was always confrontational. And that's them. why I just counted him because I said, look at who this guy eats with. Yes. And that, that's the funny thing about it is that, like, they were like, look, at he, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Look who he eats with. Look who he associates with. Right. Like, this this can't be anything. Yeah, and I think, to me, it's like, I, I always think about, like, why, why was Jesus so confrontational with the Jewish leaders, and yet he was so grace-filled 
with those who were considered right. sinners of right. his day. Um, and I think the, the truth is that that's, that's the whole purpose of the kingdom of God anyway. It's, it's to reach not the elite. It's to re- really to reach, I guess, the spiritually inept, spiritually poor in all of us. And so do you think that the reason why he was so harsh with the religious leaders at the time is that they weren't doing that? That they had made this system so uh, untouchable that yeah. basically they were only serving themselves. And so when Jesus came, you know, the... I mean, you think about the story about the, the woman that was set up, right? It's one of my favorite stories. Like, they find this woman. They say that she's caught in the act. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. like how, how did you get caught in the act? I mean, were they spying on them? You yeah. know, they, they didn't have, like, <laughs> webcams. It's like, you know, so it's like, you know, obviously they set this woman up. We can't see that. Peeping, man. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So they, they're peeping on this woman. They bring her to Jesus, right? And they're expecting her to be stoned. Sure. And so, but Jesus gives mercy. I mean, obviously she was wrong, mm-hmm. but Jesus gives mercy. And so I think that's what you're talking about. Like, you see that, like, wow, okay, this person was blatantly sinning. This person was doing something totally wrong, but he gives grace, but then he goes in on the Pharisees and Sadducees. Do you think that was because they were not showing grace to people like that? Was that the whole point? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be because they saw themselves as above because they were more religious than somebody else. And I think Jesus Jesus would say, like, you know, you're looking at, you're worried about the outside of the cup when the inside of the cup is nasty. Mm-hmm. Like, in other words, you need to turn yourself inside out because what you think is good and pure is just religion. Mm-hmm. And religion is not what the kingdom of heaven is about. You know, and then you go to the Sermon on the Mount where mm-hmm. Jesus, went, the, the motif of that is, you have heard this, but I say this. Right. You have heard this, but I say right. this. Right. And so he didn't, and he didn't soften on the law. No. Like he, he like made it even more difficult. Correct. Like if your eye causes you to sin, maybe you should cut it out. Maybe you should. And so I think those are don't, you know, you've heard no murder. Well, I say don't even be angry. Right. And so Jesus was saying like, there's more to this than you just knowing a set of rules. Right and trying to act like you're religious and act like you're better than somebody else. Meanwhile, these people who are in need that you're trying to stone because of the law, like you're ignoring your own sin when you're trying to be blatantly brutal against their sin. And it was just it's just so beautiful in Jesus' ministry that he would come so hard in the Sermon on the Mount against all the Pharisees or all the religious people, um, but then somebody could be going about their daily life and do something, yeah. and he would be basically like, "That's that's what this whole thing looks like." Like, sure, what what that person did, like the uh, like the Good Samaritan, right? Yeah. Like you got the priest and the Levite that walk and cross over, and then you have the Samaritan who does not love; they, they have a love hate relationship, but yet he does the good thing, yep. and that brings honor and glory. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I just think that Jesus does a good job of of he's the ultimate hero maker of people who are like sure. doing something like you think is so small, but then he always says, well, your faith has done this or your belief in this, you know, um, you know, like when Naaman went there and, and he, his obedience, mm-hmm. you know, Naaman wasn't even a Jew, but right. he, but he believed and he, you know, using that example of, of, you know, how God did something in his life. I just think those things are, uh, are kind of beautiful how Jesus highlights those things. Well, I think to me, Jesus was about tearing down walls and not, not putting up walls. And I feel like that if we're really honest about what Jesus said and did, he, he was trying to tear apart a fabric of something that, that was not of God, um, but they thought it was of God. And so I always think about like Paul's life. Like Paul was passionately serving as Saul. He was serving with great passion God. Like he was doing that the best way that he thought he knew how, mm-hmm. like willing to tear apart this movement of people, you know, <laughs> because they were messing with his religion. Right. right. And he thought he was doing a good thing. Correct. But in essence, he was totally misguided. And I think the the heart of Saul who became Paul 
like is probably the picture of what Jesus really wanted people to get. Like you think you're being religion, but it's, it's worthless, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's nothing unless you have the radical passion for those who are in need in your culture. And you think about what Paul gave up, man, like he was on the fast track to be a Jewish leader. Correct. And he gave all that up, you know, something radical had to happen in his life. And it was about this radical nature of what Jesus intended for his church. And I think then you can see that also take root in the church, that radical nature of us doing something different and being something different. You know, you had slaves and freedmen in a, in a church together, right. part of congregations right. together, wealthy and poor, part of congregations together, which never would have happened culturally mm-hmm. and socially. Those kind of things, I think, beginning to take root uh, in, you know, in Peter sharing the gospel with Cornelius and Cornelius' family. You see right. walls coming down, right? right? And so I think that, to me, is is where we're called to be as the church, is aligning with Jesus in the radical nature of upsetting the apple cart culture. And see, I love that story about Peter because um, Peter obviously was a fisherman. So he already knew what it kind of looked like to be in the hierarchy of that structure. Like, he was not going to be a right. priest. He was not like he, he was not in a respected position because people that were religious people had power and they were respected. But then you he fast was digging forward. ditches and laying pipes. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Right. Exactly. And so, but then you fast forward to where, you know, he, obviously Jesus is gone. He, it takes a revelation from heaven for him to yeah. realize that he needs to go to the Gentiles. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. so I mean, the thing about that, like it takes a, this person already been with Jesus, but it took another revelation. Right. And then it took Paul coming back to him later on and basically chewing him out saying, you, you, you're messing up again. Right. I mean, so there, there is when, I think when we're trying to figure out well, who is the needy, who do we need to be mindful of, we can have blinders on that might take some supernatural, you know, visine, if you sure. will, just because we see that with Peter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that um, the passion that Paul had for the gospel, and he, uh, like, if any of the apostles, like, were going to be anti-anybody anti other than Jewish people, or anti-Gentile, right. it would have been Paul. It should have been Paul, right. Right, because he was a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. And so anybody Gentile to him was unclean, and yet he became the apostle to the Gentiles. Like that—that was that, became, <laughs> right, exactly. that became his whole right, life. Right, you know, right. It's like me when I got called into the ministry, and the last thing I wanted to do was to do a lot of pastoral care. And I go to a church that's all they wanted me to do <laughs> right. was pastoral care. Right, right. Like it was like okay, my ministry became something that I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like that you know the tearing down of walls and the opening up of the ministry of Jesus to people beyond the Jewish faith. Like, it's just another example of the radical nature of what Jesus expected from his followers, expected from his church. He wanted us to be different. He said, don't know us by, by our love, right? right. That we'll be right. defined by something that the culture just will not understand. And I think over the next few weeks you know, in this series, what we're trying to look at is, well, what does that mean for us? Mm-hmm. Like, so how do we define mm-hmm. For us, what fulfilling the radical nature of Jesus' ministry means for us in 2019 mm-hmm. and going forward. And I think that sometimes it's really hard for the church to be on mission like that because I think that those that are truly in need that really can't take for themselves, they almost become white noise. Like, it's, it, they're always around you. Sure. And so, like, how do you, you know, tune your heart and mind to really go after them? And yeah. I think that's what we're trying to look at in this series through Jesus to see, like, you know, that Jesus was always mindful of that. Like, even when he was in the crowds, you're talking about that. When he's in the crowds, that's when you see the most 
of what Jesus does. Right. He's on the crowd. He's moving somewhere. He's going somewhere. And he has this interaction that somehow you feel like, how did he even get on his radar? Like, how did you even hear that person? Right. Like, how did you, how did they even get close to you? Because the mobs are following you. But then he stops and he engages them. Yeah. And so I think that that's what I'm excited for us to dive into over the next few weeks is like, how do we tune our hearts? Maybe you could even think about this right now. How, how do we get our minds to be ready to look for those opportunities and go after those that are disenfranchised. Yeah, I think it's it's awareness. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like you, you just recently preached about the Holy Spirit, and mm-hmm. we talked about tuning in to the Holy Spirit and paying attention to a presence of God that's already within us as believers. Um, and you and I, we, we talked about that ahead of time. It's kind of like when we... When you when you're looking for a new car, right. you know, and you, you're thinking about okay, I'm gonna buy a Toyota 4Runner. Yes. All of a sudden, you start seeing Toyota 4Runners everywhere, every day, like, like they're just all all over the place. Whereas before, you didn't even notice, right? It. And so, I think to, for us to be able to train ourselves to begin to be conscious and and to think through, you know, who are those people in our culture? Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife Dana and I were going somewhere the other day, and we were going through a stoplight that we always go through on a regular basis, and there's a guy there who's always begging. He's got one of the signs, you know, veteran, please help, whatever. Right. And he's an older guy, and he looks like he has difficulty walking. And my wife said, she said, I gave this guy some money the other day. And she said, he kind of reminds me of my grandfather, the way he walks, like an old man. And so I, I thought, you know, isn't it really cool in her heart that she had the heart to notice? Right. When other people probably drive by him on a daily basis, and, and if you ask them about him, they probably couldn't even tell you. So I can, anything about I can tell you for sure that people don't notice because yeah. before I moved, I used to live obviously in a different house because I just moved. Yeah. <laughs> and you had a sign out by the street? I did not okay. I didn't have a sign out, but I needed one. And yeah. so um I lived on a real busy street. Need air conditioning. I know. Please. <laughs> please let me out. Yeah. So every morning I drive my kids to school. And so I had to come out in my driveway, and I mean, people are just going by forever. Right. But you know how you get down to the end of the by the end of the street, like a mile down, there's a stoplight. So the traffic would start backing up. Right. Well, so it would move slowly. So people would literally, I would think they're going to let me out because it's already stopped ahead of me. Right. They would pull right in front of me and stay there. And then you would think the next car would do the same thing. They're, they're oblivious. Like, I realized I'd have to sometimes honk my horn or pull out. And people, they literally did not see a car was waiting to try to come out of the lane. Oh, they saw you, Brandon. They just acted like they didn't see no, you, No, I don't man. think they, I, I really don't think they did. Because sometimes look on their face, they would, they would kind of be shocked. And they kind of like oh they were playing past. that though uh, you think you think they were playing well, okay. shots yeah. after we made yeah, eye yeah. contact like, because they just totally ignored you yeah don't look at the guy don't look at the guy don't look so at the guy so do you so that's a good question so do you think that we are oblivious or do you think that we choose to ignore I think some of both I think sometimes our opulence our comfort because you could be busy you could be busy sure. I think you get distracted right. and consumed with stuff going on in your life. I think you can be oblivious. Mm-hmm. But I also think sometimes we choose to be oblivious. We turn we turn away. We turn away. Yeah. Like we intentionally see like as we're, as we're approaching an intersection there's somebody in need. You know, do we stop? Like do right. we see the person we know what the game is. Yes. And so we intentionally keep our eyes straight ahead, don't look, don't don't make eye contact, don't acknowledge, don't you know, you see some of the people with a sign that says at least smile. Right. You know? No. And what, yes. they're, what they're saying is... Can you see me? At least acknowledge I'm here. me. I'm from Illinois. I'm from outside Chicago. And I know a lot of friends that are believers that say they don't go downtown Chicago because it's just too much for them to see. Like, you know, the begging right. and they don't want to see it. So they don't want to go. And that's what they'll say. And it makes me kind of feel sad. I have other friends who when they go, they, they pack 
peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Sure. They have gift cards. So I think it's a little bit of, like you said, it's a different mindset. Like, you can't take care of everybody. I mean, there's more people in Chicago than there is North Carolina. Right. And so you can't take care of everybody. Right. But you can be, you can try to do what you can do. And I think that's what Jesus was saying. Like, you, you can do something. Jesus did something. Sure. And as followers, we can do something. And I think being able to pay attention in the the fringes of our culture to be able to identify who those people are. And I think, you know, as we go through the series, we're going to look at some specific instances where Jesus engaged those people. Right. And maybe that will speak into how we select and how we identify and how we find and how we look for, mm-hmm. you know, the people that mm-hmm. might be in need in our culture. Um, but I think, I think the main thing we want to think about is like, this is a part of who we are supposed to be as believers. Right. Because it was a core part of Jesus' ministry. Like you said, like he, he would stop and acknowledge. Right. Otherwise, people who would, who would have been just ostracized. Right. And I think that, to me, really challenges me. You know, in, in my you know, middle-class existence in the United States of America, in a first-world country where I have it made, really, you know, from a, from a physical perspective as far as, you know, I don't ever go hungry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got plenty of stuff. I got a, I got a food. I got food over in my mouth. I got a roof over my head. I got I got everything I need physically, mm-hmm. so I don't have to ever be concerned about that. But mm-hmm. yeah, there are people who are around me that do. Mm-hmm. You know that hunger is a very real thing. That that um, homelessness is a very real issue. Mm-hmm. You know the the fact of you know there are children who don't have parents. Mm-hmm. You know that's a very real issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's there's needs I think that we all should be aware of and. I think for me, it's about how do we as individuals and how do we corporately as a church, how do we identify what are the ways in which we can make a difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely starts with being being aware. Um, I know that I love what you said. Like, it is so easy for us because we are comfortable and we live in a society, especially in 2019, um, where, you know, we're, it's much like, you know, kind of like if you're not making it, it's on you. Like, right. you have all this opportunity, you have all this school, you have all this technology, you have all these resources. So, like, what are you not doing? And right. so, like, why? It's easy. It's good to have this attitude. Not good, I'm sorry. It's easy to have this attitude if, if you're needy, it's on you. And I think that that can sometimes creep into the church, you know, that especially, I mean, let's be, let's be honest. A lot of our churches look and feel like the same. Like, if you're kind of yeah. in a middle-class church, it's going to be right. a middle-class church. Yep. You know, if you have a church that has a lot of tech guys, you're going to have a lot of tech guys there. If you have right. a lot of plumbers, you're going to have a lot of plumbers. You know what I'm talking about? And so a lot of times... So if you have a lot of plumbers, the church's plumbing will be good? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you, would, you would hope so. You won't so. have issues with grease traps or anything going on? <laughs> That'd be awesome. I need to, we need to get a church filled with AC people, because I've, I've had some problems with that. And How about a church filled with bankers? How about that? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be Ooh, ironic if that yeah. church had money problems? It would be. Wouldn't it be? Yeah. Wow, that's that's good. Yeah, that's good. I mean, hey, the church is supposed to be filled with lost people who are found, and found people are supposed to find people, and sometimes we have a hard time doing that. True. So, yeah, we'll go ahead and let that marinate for yeah. a second. <laughs> but the thing is, is that here's the deal. You you normally associate with who you associate with. Right. And so the thing is, is that it's really hard and unique for a church to have big gaps. Like the church in Acts had big gaps. That's why I said yeah. no, everyone had needs met because there were people who were, like you said, they were slaves. Yeah. They had no land. They were orphans. They were widows. They were poor people. Mm-hmm. 
there were rich people who had just heard this gospel message said, what we need to be saved. Right. And they just did it. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's a thing that we need to look at as well to be like, you know, as do we see the needs because there's no one in need in our congregation? And if that's the case, maybe that's a problem. Like our, is our, is our church not accessible to the needy? You know, because Jesus was accessible. True. He, yes. the, the needy had access to him. Right. And so have we set our churches up in a way and our ministers in a way where we cater time to ourselves? Yeah, and like you say, that's our natural tendency right. is to gather with, with people that are like us. Exactly. Socioeconomically, educationally, racially, other ways. We, we try to gather with other us. And it can be, and know? even it can be, you can be a diverse church and still not, and be homogeneous just economically. Like yes. you, you can have yes. white, black, Hispanic, or, you know, and you can all be making six figures. Right. That's that's still a little bit different. Sure. Yes. Yeah, you are homogeneous from an economic Exactly. And in America, that's still a big divide. Yeah. I think um, how we talk, I mean, it's a good thing that I'm not an intelligent and I just talk like a normal dude. So <laughs> maybe I can reach those who are struggling. Um, but I, I just feel like that... Um, the the idea of what the early church went through because if we well, like we talked about like Peter was a fisherman mm-hmm. and you think about this fisherman a, a guy from Galilee like all of a sudden he's filled with the Holy Spirit he preaches right. the first you know like, evangelism conference of the church <laughs> exactly and three thousand people get saved man I mean it's like how in the world can you explain that mm-hmm. other than this is a movement of God correct and that something different is happening correct where a fisherman is preaching to the populace mm-hmm. and they're hearing it and they're receiving mm-hmm. that. And in that audience, like you were saying, there's probably wealthy people in that audience. There's probably slaves in that audience. There's, there's laborers in that all audience. There's business people. Like there's people from all walks of life right. that are hearing this gospel for the first time. Right. And then all of a sudden they got to figure out how, okay, how do we become something together that we've never been before? Whereas we're always been told all of our life that we're to be separate. Right. And I think in some ways to your point, maybe the church has lost that that idea that we're supposed to be different and together mm-hmm. as opposed to be the same and together. Right. No. Yeah. Right. And I, I think that's kind of what I hope that we can hit on that. I think Jesus was really talking about as we continue to, just to dive into that, that there should be needy people in your church. And I think yeah. that we, I mean, the thing is, is that like in celebrate recovery, you want to help people get to that next step. Right. Yeah. So like celebrate recovery, if you have an addiction, come as you are, don't stay the same. Right. Um, if you have like, you know, financial peace, ABC's the financial freedom. Like, there's different things that help people do that. Right. Going back to school. But what I'm, I guess my point is that Jesus had needy people around him. So I don't, I think that sometimes we want to make sure that we're not pushing them away, but they're welcomed. They're embraced because at the end of the day, before Christ, we all were needy. Like we right. all were spiritually bankrupt. Sure. And just because we can kind of put on airs that, you know, we look good from the outside, we all were broken and messed up and bankrupt inside. Yes. So just because I can see your ailment a little bit better than you can see mine, we're all the same. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, Paul and all these guys are saying too, that, you know, if we're going to boast, we're going to boast in Christ. We're, we're all sinners. Like Paul says, the chief sinner. Yeah. Um, He's my idol, and he said, I'm the worst of everybody. You know what I'm saying? Right, sure, yeah. I'm the chief of all sinners. Right. Um, And I think, too, like, we're all being called to turn the cup inside out. Yes. And I think the place where we as a church can make those who are outside the church looking and feel comfortable is when they come in and we talk about our struggles. Mm -hmm. Um, If they come in and we act like everything is perfect. (laughs) Right. And we, we polish the outside of the cup. Right then we're doing the opposite of what Jesus challenged the religious leaders of his day to do. And 
you know, let's be honest about our sins and our brokenness before God and make a place for everybody to come, mm-hmm. no matter what their socioeconomic status is, no matter what their place of need is. You know, we as a church, I mean, obviously we can't meet everybody's need. Right. But we can meet some. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like? From from the radical core of Jesus' ministry to those who are the outcasts of his society, you know, raising up, you know, common laborers, common fishermen to be the leaders of his movement, you know, um, chastising and challenging the religious leaders of his day and pushing against everything that was a standard, you know, in relationship to God, mm-hmm. even saying, hey, you can call him Abba Father. Like that to me is is where we need to be as a church is like connecting to that radical nature of Jesus' ministry. So what are you what are you most excited about about this kicking off this series on Sunday? Um I feel like that the excited the most exciting thing to me is like hopefully what it will do from the for our church from the inside out. Okay. Like we talk about being a church in motion. Right. We talk about being our, our upward motion, our relationship to God, our inward motion is our relationship to each other, and our outward motion is our relationship to our community mm-hmm. and to our world. And so I feel like that like this is a huge piece of us understanding who are the people outside that outward motion? Where does that need to be targeted? What does that need to be directed towards? What are some things that we can do to make a difference? Yeah, the more we're talking about it, we—I mean—we've really kind of uh, been fleshing it out. I really feel like this is going to be a challenge to us as believers. You know, like this is a like this is a message that should inspire and have mm-hmm. us obviously have some next steps. But I mean, I really do feel like you know we're we're the Pharisees in this in the stories. Sure. Like we're we're the ones that Jesus is kind of talking to because you know we're kinda we're coming to church. We're we're in the word. We we're the ones calling ourselves Christians, but like are we really doing what we're called to be doing? Right. Yeah. Are do we know the rules? Right. We know the language. Uh-huh. We know what to say and how to say it. We know what stickers we need to put on the back of our cars. <laughs> and we know what radio stations we need to think like make everybody think we're listening to. Uh-huh. But are we truly Acknowledging those in our culture who desperately need to hear the gospel. Oh man, that's a great podcast, yeah. Christian Radio. That's a that's a good that's a good next one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I listen to K Love. No, you don't. I don't no. listen to I don't listen to K Love. I do not. All right, so we're we're excited about this series, man. We're just we can't wait to see what impact it's going to have uh, in our congregation and how it's going to challenge us personally, but also how it's going to challenge the people of Quest. But also, maybe down the road, we can begin to look back and say, man, what a, what a difference point that was, what a marker that was for us as a church, and look back at all the things that we've been able to do as a result of the challenge of what God's going to say to us through this series. That's right. I think that you, you can't beat the fact that, like you said, Jesus came and had a radical mission, and he wanted to seek and save the lost, and just those that are truly in need, Jesus had time for. And so tuning our hearts and minds to where Jesus is working and where Jesus wants us to be at. I, I'm really excited for, for us to explore that and look forward to talking more with you about that in the next few weeks. Mm-hmm.